be seated. Please open up with me now in God's Word to the uh, book of Galatians. Uh, we have been in the New Testament book of Galatians recently in our uh, morning services. Galatians today, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19 through 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find this passage in the Pew Bible that is uh, in front of you, and it would be found on page 975 in your Pew Bible. So Galatians chapter 5 and verses uh, 19 through uh, 21. Let's now hear uh, these words of the living God. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's now look to the Lord uh, together. Lord, our God in heaven, we have just read your holy word. And we desire, O Lord, that its truth would be made evident to our minds and would be applied to our hearts in this coming hour. O Holy Spirit of God, use this word that you have inspired, that it might be a living word to us. We pray, O Lord, that it would instruct the way that we think about you, and as well, O God in heaven, that it would lead to lives of repentance, faith, and new obedience. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, if I uh, were to be asked, what subjects, I believe, are most crucial for for the American church to properly understand today, what would I answer to that question? I would probably give maybe three different things by way of reply. I would say the first truth that is so important for us to grasp today is that truth of the majesty and the glory of our triune God. As David Wells famously diagnosed 30 years ago, ago, there is in the evangelical church today a certain weightlessness to God. That is, that God is often, while still believed in, deemed really inconsequential for our lives today, and how important it is that we grasp afresh something of the majesty and of the glory and of the holiness of our God. The second answer I would give is this. What is is it so important for us to grasp today? The second thing I would say is it is so important that we grasp the gospel of God's free, sovereign grace. In a world that is marked by American ingenuity, self-help therapy, you can do it, kind of positive thinking, we need to be reminded afresh that there is one thing that we most certainly can't do, and that is to save ourselves. But what we cannot do in saving ourselves, God has wonderfully and marvelously done in the sending of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for sinners. He has made atonement and he has given us his Holy Spirit who changes our hearts 
applying to us all the merits of Christ's work so that we are saved by him. And the work is 100% his work. The gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. Because it's when we grasp this gospel that we then will want to live lives of thanksgiving uh, to him. So that would be the second truth, I would say, that is so important that we grasp uh, today. But the third truth would be this. The third truth is the beauty of holy living. How important it is that we grasp in our day the beauty of holy living. In a world that kind of says, well, aren't you so holy, with a smirk on its face and a bit of contempt, holiness has hit upon hard times. And it's even that way uh, within the Christian uh, church, a fear that there's sometimes a, um, a dread of being labeled as a perfectionist or a, a legalist. And uh, you rarely hear about today the pursuit of holiness and the fear of God. And yet we need to see that Scripture paints for us a really a, a beauty in holy living. You know, redemption itself has holiness as one of its great aims. God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, Ephesians 1.4. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Why? So that he might sanctify us, having cleansed us by the washing of water with the word, Ephesians 5 and uh, verse 26. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. Unto what end? Well, it's so that we would be holy, even as he is uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Holiness, dear friends, is the aim of our redemption. It is the fruit of the Spirit's work. It is being remade in the image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer as Christians should be uh, the prayer of that uh, godly Scottish minister in the 19th century, Robert Murray Machane, who would frequently pray, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Is that one of your aims? That you, by God's grace, would be made as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. And that's really where we've now come to in the book of Galatians. This book that is about the gospel of Jesus Christ is now making it clear in Galatians 5 that when we, by faith, embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and that Holy Spirit leads us to live life in the Spirit, a life of increasing holiness to Him. And that pursuit of holiness, as we saw so clearly last week, involves a fight. Do you remember that? The flesh, that old, sinful nature, doing war against the Spirit, that regenerate nature that we now have. And the Spirit waging war against the flesh. And so having now been indwelt by the Spirit, we are in warfare against the remnants of our old uh, sinful nature. We are to seek to live out this new life in the Spirit. And that's that warfare that Paul is now describing in Galatians 5 and verse 7, at this stage in Galatians 5. And as he's describing the warfare between the Spirit and the flesh in the pursuit of holiness, he is then going to describe what are, on the one hand, the works of the flesh. What is it when we live by the flesh? How do we live? And then he's going to describe the fruit of the Spirit. What does a Spirit-produced life of holiness look like? And that's what we're going to look at today and next week. So today, it is the works of the flesh. Those works against which we do battle, even in our pursuit of holiness uh, today, the works of the flesh. We're going to look at this passage today under two different headings. Uh, first of all, we're going to see what we are battling against. The works of the flesh named. 
then secondly, we are going to see why we must battle against them. Where the works of the flesh lead. So what we are battling against, the works of the flesh named, why we must battle against them. Where the works of the flesh lead. So first of all, what we are battling against, and here we're going to spend most of our time today, are the works of the flesh named. Uh, you will have noticed as we read this passage that the bulk of this passage is a listing of a variety of different kinds of sins. There's a lot of things in this list, but it's also not an exhaustive list. Did you notice that at the end in verse 21? He says, after naming a whole bunch of different things, he says, and things like these. Okay, and so you could go to a variety of different places in Scripture that contains different lists of sins, and no list is exactly the same as the other. None of them are completely exhaustive lists, and we don't have one here, but rather he is listing a variety of things which were especially important for the first century Galatians to hear, and which we will find have extraordinary relevance in 21st century America uh, today. People have not changed that much. But as we look at this list, these works of the flesh, the things that we in our sinful nature produce, we can look at these, this list really under four different categories. There's four different categories of sins that are named uh, in this list. And that's what I want us to, so I want us to organize it today. Four different categories. And the first of those is that we have a list here of sexual sin that are the works of the flesh. Sexual sin. These are the first three words that are present. Uh, we first of all see sexual immorality. It's a word that could be translated fornication. And it's a broad word which refers really to sexual relations between people who are not married. And so it covers really a, a whole variety of sexual sins, sexual immorality. But then from there it goes on to use the word impurity. Now the word impurity refers to what is unclean or dirty, and don't we still use that word to describe really a variety of sexual perversions? We speak of dirty jokes, or dirty internet sites, or dirty thoughts. And the idea is, is that we ought not to be dirty or impure in this way. Then the word sensuality is the third word that's used. It's a word that means licentiousness. It's acting without restraint, acting according to the fleshly desires that we have. Whatever I want, I'm going to get. And when it leads to sexuality, that can lead to all kinds of evil. And so he says, these are three works which, as Christians, we must battle against. These sexual sins. How countercultural this list was in first century sexually permissive Roman society. And how countercultural this list continues to be in 21st century sexually permissive Western society as well. And this is making clear what God's purposes for sexual relations are and what is and what continues to be counted as sin in his sight, the works of the flesh. For two people to have sexual relationship with one another outside of marriage, whether that's just a kind of casual hookup or whether it is a committed dating or engaged relationship, the Bible says that is sinful. It is sexually immoral. The Bible makes clear as well that all same-sex sexual desire or activity is sinful. The Bible makes clear that to look at a person and to lust after her 
or to lust after him, whether that is on a website or a television ad or just somebody that you pass by, that that act of lusting is a sinful act, that these are the works of the flesh. That's what God says. Somebody in 21st century says, well, isn't that so repressive? You know, aren't sexual desires natural desires? Don't they need an outlet? Doesn't sex actually bring people closer together in a, in a dating relationship? Somebody else says, well, if I look at a little pornography, who's harmed by it? It doesn't affect anybody else. What I want to answer is this, that when sexuality, dear friends, is taken out of its God-ordained context of a man and a woman in a marriage relationship, it does have damaging effects indeed. It objectifies that other person, a person who is made in the image of God. And it turns that other person into an object for my own gratification rather than making, as God has intended it to be, sex to be an expression of self-giving love to that person that I have exclusively given myself to. And there can be no doubt in our own day that our highly sexualized culture has led to really uh, disastrous effects. It's led to emptiness and to broken hearts. It's led, certainly in our day, to a rise in abortion to a large number of children that are being raised without the benefit of two parents. It's led to addiction, sex, sexual addiction, and many other forms of brokenness in our day and age. The Bible is clear on this. The Bible says, if I have not entered into a marriage covenant with that other person, in which I have said to that person, I will love you in sickness and in health, in life and in death, for better or for worse, till death do us part. If we have not entered into that covenant relationship with that person, you have no right to that person's body. And girls, please learn this, young ladies. No guy other than your husband has any right to your body in this way. Sex is God's good gift that accompanies a marriage relationship. And for those that are married, the Bible is clear, that gift is for nobody else except your spouse alone. You see, as Christians, we need to be different from the world in this area. The world has so distorted God's good gift, and it is a good gift, a beautiful gift of His. And as Christians, no matter how badly the world has distorted it, we need to be committed to using this gift rightly. And you need, by God's grace, to make a commitment in this area. If you are in a dating relationship, you need to say, I am not going to push the boundaries with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm going to honor the Lord in this calling. You need to be able to say, men and women, I'm going to say no to pornography. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look upon somebody in a way that I ought not to. You need to make a commitment. I'm not going to allow my mind to wander in ways that it ought not. And we need to be able to say, can I love God enough that I am going to honor this command in this area of my life? Lord, help me to honor you. In a world that has gone amok, help me to honor you with God-given sexuality. Lord, grant that I would honor you in this way. The Bible is clear regarding these works of the flesh. It headed the list. In Paul's day here, how it needs to today. With us, it's something we must listen to, what the Word of God says. The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. But let's move on now to the second category of sin, the second category of the works of the flesh. 
And these are a category of religious sins. Religious sins. Two of them are mentioned beginning at verse 20. And the first of these two is the sin of idolatry. Well, what's the sin of idolatry? It's the making of false gods and then worshiping those gods. My uh, in-laws, Brad and Patsy Evans, many of you know, are in Japan right now where he's uh, pastoring a church for a month there. And um, uh, one of the things that they've said about Japan is how many idols are everywhere that you look. It seems like people have them outside of their homes and in their homes and they're, they're along, the, along the streets, images wherever you look. And it's so sad if you think about it. So many gods, none of those can save. Well, in the Western world, we might not have religious statues and images so much like that, but do you know that people in the West as well can make gods of their own, gods who don't save, idolatrous things, things like wealth or success or popularity or intelligence. People can serve these things and desire these things, crave these things, put their trust in these things. But these are also idols which are impotent to save. Does worshiping these gods ultimately satisfy a soul that was made for communion with the living God? And the answer is no. So idolatry, dear friends, the making of other gods is a work of the flesh. But he attaches to that sorcery as well. Sorcery is a word which might refer to all kinds of magic arts. Actually, very interestingly, uh, the Greek word for sorcery is the word from which we get pharmacy and pharmaceuticals and things like that today. Because just like witch doctors in primitive cultures today, sorcery was often tied to healing people. Now, there is a proper use of medicine, dear friends, pharmaceuticals. Uh, Today, absolutely, that is right and good. But what this word is telling us of is actually of the evil of the occult and horoscopes and seances and mediums and every attempt to kind of manipulate the spirit world for our own purposes. But if in the first century this also had uh, 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 this word also related to the use of to the to the to the wrong use of of drugs, so it might today also. How many desire to take drugs in a wrong way to kind of create a a sort of alternative consciousness, a kind of spiritual experience? And it's saying this also is a work of the flesh. Oh, dear friends, the first commandment of the Bible, of God's moral law, is you shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry and sorcery must have no place in your lives at all. It does matter who you worship. You know, that's a very countercultural idea as well. Because our world says, just do whatever religion works for you. It's okay to be a spiritual person and not a religious person. You know, just live a a healthy, well-balanced life with sort of a spiritual dimension. But but this idea of of being devoted to to God as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, well, that's not popular today, dear friends, but yet we must realize that that's what we're called to do, to brook no rivals to the living God, to know and to worship the true God who has made himself known in Jesus Christ. And friends, What we are called to is to have a devotion that is given to Him and to Him alone. One of the works of the flesh is this religious sin of idolatry and sorcery. Let's move on to the third category. Sexual sin, religious sin. A third category of the works of the flesh are social sins, or we might call them relational sins. These actually encompass the next Eight words. Eight different words given to these works 
of the flesh. You know, and we often, when we think works of the flesh, we might quickly think of sexual sin, or we might think of idolatry. But Paul makes it clear here that one of the primary ways in which the sinful self shows itself is in how we treat other people. And look at these eight words. And children, I want you to listen to these eight words too. And I want you to think about how you relate maybe to your friends or to your brother or sister. Is it in a godly way? Or are we doing these things that are called the works of the flesh? Let's go through this list together. The first of these words is the word enmity. Enmity, that refers to an attitude of hatred toward others. It's opposite of the neighbor love that we're to show. Then the word strife, a kind of contentiousness, a bent towards battle with others. And then jealousy. This is a word which, uh, when used in a good sense, can mean zeal, but here it's used in a bad way. Okay, It's zeal really in envy that we feel, and we're going to see the word envy in a second as well. The next word is fits of anger. This is when we would kind of lose self-control and our, our bad thoughts about others would lead to a kind of rage. The next word is that of rivalries. That's viewing others as our competitors, to rise above others by delighting in their misfortune. It's really a word which refers to selfish ambition. Stepping over anyone I need to step over to make my way to the top. Then the next two words are very similar. Dissensions and divisions. This really refers to kind of a party spirit, what we might call taking sides, cliques, groups, the kind of hide to pride, dissensions, divisions in this way. And then the last word is the word envy, which is really a craving for, for what others have rather than being happy for, for others. What a list this is. Eight things. And it's saying these things are produced not by the Spirit of God in you, but by the, but by the flesh. And these sins take different forms, right? Sometimes we kind of explode with these sins as when we get really, really red in the face and angry and we get upset. But sometimes these sins are real subtle. That kind of secret satisfaction I take in somebody else's downfall or the bitter thoughts that I nurse toward somebody else. You know, I tried to think as, as we went through this, why are these sins so common in our lives? Why, why do we do these things? What's the reason? I really think the reason that's at the heart of it all is really the reason of selfishness, isn't it? I like to live with myself at the center. My dreams, my comforts, my successes, my pleasures, my ambitions. And I don't want other people to stand in the way of that. I want others to recognize me and approve me and be happy with me. But it's about myself. And is that not why it's considered fleshly in this way? Uh, the sinful self, the old sinful nature, lives with myself as number one. I want it to be about me. But the spiritual regenerate life, when God changes our hearts, what does he do? He makes it so it's no longer first about me, but about him and his glory. And then we seek to glorify others, glorify God by then loving others. And so these are, it's a catalog of, again, of social sins. And these social sins manifest themselves in, in a variety of ways. I just said sometimes they manifest themselves outwardly or secretly in the heart. It can be with the different personalities too. Uh, the self-confident, assertive person 
can commit these works of the flesh as they are always jockeying for position, putting themselves forward. Here, look at me, don't look at others. But also, the unconfident, insecure person can also be guilty of these sins. The person who is always putting themselves down, why? Well, because they crave the approval of others. That's why. And so what we need to see, dear friends, is that the work of the flesh says, it's all about me. But what we need to say is, by the Spirit, no, it's not all about me. It's about God and His glory. And and God has put other people into my life, not so that I can be better than them or win their approval, but rather that I can show my love to God by showing love to them in a life of service. We are called to love others. We are called to serve others, even the ones we don't naturally like very much. We are called to love. You may even say, well, this other person, you don't understand, Pastor. This other person is just so annoying. They're so selfish. They're so attention-grabbing. I can't possibly like that other person. But I want to say, no, 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 let's stop talking about that other person for a moment. Let's talk about it your own heart. What is it in your own heart that is keeping you from loving that person as you ought? And there's a problem in our own heart. That's what Paul's saying here. It's the works of the flesh that come out of our heart that lead us not to relate to others as we ought to. Can I just say, too, how important these things are for the life of the church? You know, what is the church in large measure? The church in large measure are relationships that we have for one another. God has brought this group of people together under one roof, but more importantly, in one another's lives. So that in the church, a very disparate group of people become one family in Jesus Christ. And how crucial it is in this family that these works of the flesh don't predominate. It will tear a church apart, dear friends. And how careful we need to be to not give space to feelings of envy and jealousy, to enmity and to strife. How careful we need to be, the words that we speak with one another and the attitudes that we have and the facial expressions even that we have towards one another, that we not give in to fits of anger and to rivalries with one another, but rather we seek by God's grace and by the help of His Spirit to love one another truly in the Lord. Because in that way, the church can truly be this this otherworldly body, this, 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 this slice of heaven on earth. What does does it look like when a group of people are changed by the Spirit of God and stop living like the world? What does it look like? Oh, dear friends, might we have an example of that in the church? Is it going to be perfect on this side of glory? No. That's the battle we're talking about. Battle against the flesh. But let's battle, friends, is what I'm saying. Put to death those things which would create enmity and strife and disharmony within the body of Christ. Let us let this be a place of genuine, otherworldly, spirit-produced love. That's the third category of the works of the flesh. Fourth category of the works of the flesh are the sin of drunkenness. We see this in the last two items in our list. Uh, first of all, drunkenness. That is, drinking alcohol to excess what our age might call getting plastered, okay, as well as orgies. And by orgies, it's not referring necessarily to to sexual parties, but just kind of wild parties, which the kind of things that would have drinking at their center, people acting in all sorts of ungodly ways. It was a problem in the first century, very obviously. It's a problem today. (laughs) Things have not changed much. In our own day, how quickly people turn to drink as a way of escaping this world, as a way of trying to have a little bit of fun. It's still people's response to life's 
troubles. Getting drunk is often considered a kind of rite of passage among among young adults. It is considered by many to be something that is innocent and fun. But the Bible teaches that it is not. It is not innocent and it is not fun at all. It impairs your judgment. It makes you uninhibited. And by uninhibited means to give free expression to your sinful desires. Lust. Anger. And other kinds of foolishness that are put on full display by one who is drunk. And what dreadful results have drunkenness had? There are people that you know and that I know that were abused by alcoholic fathers. Wives abused by alcoholic husbands. There are people who have drunk their paychecks away. And it's led to poverty. There are people that I know and probably that you know that have literally drunk themselves to death. Dear friends, we need to be able to say, such is not for me as life in the Spirit. Let's put this sin to death. Let's say no to it. Young people, can I plead with you? Don't think that this is just something that young people do and it's okay and it's innocent. You are a Christian young person. Say no to these things. Do you not believe that God has made this world for your delight and that you can enjoy it and enjoy Him without getting drunk in order to do so? Strong drink is a substitute God. It is a way for looking for true fun and true delight apart from the living God. It is a work of the flesh. So that's the list right here. We've gone through them, all four of the things. We sought to name them and to describe them and to show you what it looks like. So that is what it is that we must do battle against, the works of the flesh named. But now with the remainder of our time this morning, I want us to consider this, why we must do battle against these things where these works of the flesh lead. Why we must do battle against these things. Where the works of the flesh lead. Look with me at verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, you hear Paul, by the way, he's saying, I've told you all of this before, but I'm still going to tell you again. Can I say this is a good reason for you as parents to tell your children things that they've heard before? Or for you in a congregation when you think, Pastor, I've heard all of that before. I'm in good company. Paul says the same thing. I've told you before, but I'm going to tell you again because you need to hear it. That's what he's telling us today. I I want to tell you this again because I want it to make its way through your skull into the very deepest recesses of your brain so you don't turn around and forget it and ignore it. I warn you, as I've warned you before, this, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a warning that is. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you might Say, wait a second here. I thought the book of Galatians was all about salvation by grace, not by works. And this teaching suddenly a salvation by works. And the answer is no, it's not. Dear friends, we are justified, that is, we are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith receives Christ and receives his perfect righteousness by which we are accounted righteous. And that gift of salvation which we are freely given through Christ comes to us by the Holy Spirit. And friends, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we aren't only forgiven, but we are also changed. 
we are clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness for our justification, our standing before God, but we are also changed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ for our sanctification. And so the question is, are we showing in our lives the evidence of one who has been changed by the Spirit of God? Do we have that seed of new life in us? Or are we living in the same way as everyone in the world lives? And if we are living in the same way as everyone in the world lives, perhaps we don't have the Spirit of God in us. And we will not then inherit the kingdom of God. And so when this is saying that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, this is not saying if you have ever been guilty of any of these sins, you are excluded from the kingdom. It's not saying that. Because these are sins which every one of us in this room, every one of us have committed. And we have committed them not only before we were Christians, but we've committed them even after we're Christians. It's the warfare, right? We talked about it last week. The spirit against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. Even as Christians, we do things that we are ashamed of and that we ought not to do. But in the life of the Christian, there is a warfare that is going on. And so when we do these things, we repent of them and we do battle against it and we seek with God's help by the Spirit to live not just a decent life, not just a better life, but to live a life for the glory and honor of God. That's what we're trying to do. And so the word here that even speaks of doing, is, is, it's a present tense word and the idea is, is that of continually doing. Those who continually do, that is habitually do or make a practice of doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he is not talking here about the Christian who is genuinely in battle against the flesh and falls into sin, sometimes even the same sins over again, but repents of those things and is seeking to change and is doing battle, is in the midst of warfare. Friends, if that warfare of a genuine desire to look like Jesus Christ is going on in your life, that's good evidence that you have the Spirit of God in you. Keep fighting is what I say. Put off that old man, put on the new. But what he is talking about here is that that person who isn't seeking a life of godliness and his point is, do not be deceived. People in this world who have no mind or heart for God sometimes can appear to be very happy and satisfied people going on and living their lives for themselves or according to the standards of this world. And he is saying, do not be deceived about their real condition, about their real state. They do not possess the kingdom of God. They may appear happy now, but there is coming a day, dear friends, in which our Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear out of heaven. He's going to appear on the clouds, and every single person is going to be before his throne of judgment. And all are going to be divided on that final day. And some, some are going to hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord and we're going to go into his presence for all eternity. But dear friends, there are others who though they may have appeared to live very happy and satisfied lives in this world according to the flesh are going to hear on that day that the Lord has no part with them at all. And they're going to be cast into that lake of fire. Friends, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the teaching of the Word of God. So let me just apply this in three final ways here with the remainder, with the last few minutes that we have here. The first thing I want to say to you is this, that if you are under the grip of these sins that I have spoken of today, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I call you today to trust this Savior? Can I say to you, 
that this kind of life doesn't need to characterize your life until the time of death. Did you hear his words? You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the good news is, is that the church is full of people who once were dominated by these sins and have been redeemed. And there's no reason that that can't be you as well. No matter how bad you are, no matter what things you have done, no matter how under the grip of these sins, no matter how many people you have slept with, no matter how many lives you have ruined by your fits of anger, no matter what lies and deceit you have been involved with, no matter what other religions and the occult or other things you have served, dear friends, no matter what it is that you have done, what works of the flesh you have done, I can say to you today, there is life and there is salvation in Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Cry out to him to save you, and he will. He will save you. From these sins. Second thing I want to say is this. It is to those of you that are Christians, as a Christian, whenever you are tempted by these works of the flesh, can you please remember where these sins lead? Because sometimes these sins will appear attractive. Sexual sins drunkenness, giving way to the sinful complaints and envy of your heart, it will appear attractive. But can you have these words come through your, your mind again that those who, are, who do these things, who, 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 who consistently do these things, dear friends, that they have no part in the kingdom of, of God? Can you hear that? So why would you want as it were, cast your lot with those who have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Why would you want to live like them? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't learn to live your life. Don't, don't mimic those who are on a path to hell. Rather seek to live a life of godliness. Even while you're young, even while you're old, no matter what age you are, a life of godliness. Remember where these sins lead and then thirdly, can I say this by way of application? As a Christian, dear friends, those of you who are Christians here, can, can I call upon you to regularly examine your hearts and name your sins and flee from them? One of the practices that Christians must engage in is that practice of repentance. And repentance isn't just something that we do in a general way. Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me from my sin. Help me to obey you. But we say, Lord, in a particular way, Lord, I had a hard attitude against this other person today that I should not have had. Lord, I spoke this cross word that I should not have spoken. Lord, I entertained a lustful thought that I should not have entertained. Lord, forgive me for these sins. And name the sins. That's why he names them here. Name the sins for what they are. And then by God's grace, flee from them. Might we regularly examine our hearts. In this battle, works the flesh against the Spirit. Might we say, Lord, help me to, to recognize these fleshly desires in my life and turn from them all into a beautiful life of holiness that you have called me to live. Might the Lord help us in this. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, which is our guide. We do pray, O living God, that we would recognize these works of the flesh, that we would call them by name, the Lord, our God, that by your grace we would flee from them unto Jesus Christ. And grant, O living God, that by your Spirit we would wage warfare against the flesh. 
and live a life for your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing now um, a hymn that reminds us of the greatness of the Lord's grace towards sinners like us. Uh, It's hymn number 341. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. Hymn 341. Let's stand to sing. Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.